Welcome to Brand and New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. INTA is a global association representing more than 30,000 brand owners and professionals dedicated to supporting trademarks and related intellectual property to foster consumer trust, economic growth, and innovation. In this podcast series, every two weeks, host Audrey Dove shares with you a new topic related to innovation and its impact for the legal world, with a special focus on intellectual property. My guest today is Mark Lusterman, CEO of the VIM Group, specialized in brand management and implementation in most sectors, supporting over 1,500 organizations. Based initially in the Netherlands, the VIM Group is now present in various European countries and in the US. In the context of the fourth industrial revolution, marked by technology breakthroughs such as Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and autonomous vehicles, organizations should develop the most efficient and relevant strategies for their brands. Mark shares with us his views on the challenges and opportunities for brands facing a revolution that is disrupting the way we live and work at an exponential pace all over the world. Mark, before discussing the various ways uh, brands are affected by the digital transformation, could you explain what branding means for businesses and what it entails in terms of planning and implementation strategy? Among your, your clients, there are healthcare, telecommunications, banking, aviation, media companies, uh, as well as governments. Does the definition of branding change also from one sector to another? Yeah, thanks, Audi. I think uh, it's a very interesting question to start with. And academics make a lot of fuss uh, on the difference between reputation and branding. Reputation to them is mostly what external audiences' perceptions are of an organization. In other words, what kind of associations external people have in their minds for specific organizations. And on the other hand, branding is to academics is what organizations say they are and how they express that across all touch points and channels. To me, basically, the difference between reputation and branding is that what one perceives is called reputation and what the organization says it is across touch points and channels is called branding. Branding is always about the intangible relationship between organizations and their audiences. So, I mean, brand is also what's part of the boardroom language and what's currently, uh, although partly, shown in balance sheets, and that's contrary to reputation. That's mostly associated with risk. What I've seen through the years, that is, yeah, it's not being treated as such, uh, though. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's my professional ambition and goal to change this. Um, customers do not need to browse ales to choose and purchase a product anymore. They can order anything through uh, artificial intelligence-driven digital voice control assistance, even without mentioning the product brand. Think Alexa, order more batteries. Uh, how do you think tech innovation has disrupted the way we, as potential customers, are used to interact with trademarks and more generally our brand experience? Yeah, that's that's really nice topic, uh, voice branding. Actually, there, there are countless examples, but maybe I can elaborate on your reference to, to buying batteries through Alexa. Imagine you are a battery brand, you're the owner of a battery brand, but you are not Duracell and you're also not white label. You are, say, a mid-range battery brand. And Alexa comes in the market or a Google Assistant or Apple Home. 
people get those devices in their homes, they run out of batteries, and they then start ordering batteries. So I would imagine someone says, uh, Alexa, I want new batteries. And I think only the first time Alexa will ask me, what batteries, Mark? Do you want Duracell or do you want uh, Amazon Premium? Yeah, because that's their, that's their white label line. So if I get two choices, I think that's what I will choose from. It means that if I was a mid-range brand, I might not be chosen at all anymore. Normally I'm in a shelf, I'm in the mid-range of the prices, but now there's no shelf and the voice branding commands like simple choices, like two choices for a white label brand or the expensive brand. And Alexa will then remember for the next time what I ordered, so won't ask again. So voice branding as a new channel uh, can have huge implications for any product or service that can be ordered. Do you see other uh, ways to disrupt the way we interact with brands? Well, if you look at Tesla, that's where you can really see uh, that the whole business model has been changing the world of automotive. I mean, Tesla doesn't have like national sales companies or importers. They don't have uh, sales rooms or showrooms full of vehicles. And as a result, they have a much lower cost of their distribution network and you have to make an appointment. You, you cannot just walk in the door and then someone will drive around one of the free cars that they have there because it's all an appointment and uh, you can choose the, the spec online and they will order it for you. And if you look at the cost of that distribution channel, it's massively different than the uh, incumbent uh, car manufacturer. So that's a big difference. Mark, what are the main implications of this digital transformation for brand owners? And what are the smart ways they can react to proactively address these challenges to turn them into opportunities? Can you explain how, let's say, usual brand identification techniques are becoming key for brand owners? Yeah, well, I think voice branding is a new channel for branding. Branding from the past, of course, was, was largely visually. Um, mm -hmm. I think organizational branding in the past used to account for 83% of all communication. And you can see that that's, that's radically changing. And of course, the question is, can you use your own voice or will you be dependent on the voice of Alexa, of Google Assistant or Apple Home? If you look in more depth at the fourth industrial revolution, I see four main areas of technological disruption that really challenge the, the status quo. Yeah, because that's also your, your question. You can see mm -hmm. 5G now being rolled out across mobile networks. It's starting. And 5G will just make uh, the whole hassle that people have with uh, the speed of communication go away. So that 5G is the first one. The second one is artificial intelligence and machine learning. Think of services like Google Now, Amazon recommendations, where they, they look at how you are searching and then they make recommendations. Um, mm -hmm. That's really from analyzing data today to predictive analytics, a real uh, shift. The third thing is the Internet of Things. So all devices will be connected with each other 24-7 through the Internet. And, and like robotization is really uh, making its way. You see that in healthcare, in industry, in defense. Tomorrow you will see it in all sectors. And uh, one of our clients is ABB and they're doing this. And it's a big shift because like maintenance, maintenance will be done before you knew it was needed. The fourth real part of, of, of developments in the industrial revolution is the virtual reality and augmented reality, where you see, you see today, yeah, you see a hype in gaming and more will also be mainstream, but it's radically changing the possibilities for new customer experience. And again, if you look at the cost of keeping a dealership network for car dealers or sending a virtual reality kit to the home of customers as an alternative, I mean, that will radically change the way automotive is, is dealing with clients. 
Mark, securing intellectual property rights in the protectable elements of a brand, notably through trademark registration, is of course a must for any branding strategy. How does IP law factor in, in branding strategy? And what are the most significant challenges, so legal, of course, but even beyond, your clients face in relation to their brands and the technological disruptions that they must overcome? Yeah, well, to my experience, um, intellectual property law and, and say the legal side of branding is always uh, late and often too late to the party. And to me, uh, the main reason being is that clients are people who are owners of brands in organizations are mostly the chief marketing officer or the chief communication officer. And they are really uh, mostly thinking of opportunities and, and new spaces and, I mean, uh, positioning spaces for the brand. So if you would imagine that brand would always be owned by the legal counsel or by the CFO, then for sure the legal aspects would be dealt with at a very uh, early stage. Ultimately, I think this goes back to the educational systems in our world and the curricula with which people have been coming into professional life. In my practice, uh, like I said in the beginning, we always approach brand from the business administration perspective. And as such, I mean, understanding what is the bundle of intellectual property rights that we're dealing with is one of the first questions that need answering. After all, you, you cannot work with brand if you don't know what it consists of and to what extent, content-wise, but also, for example, geographically, you would own it. I do think that's not just bad news, though, if you are coming at it from, the, say, the legal uh, profession, because I foresee a future where the focus of intellectual property is only increasing. And the reasons that, that brands, for example, have become part of balance sheets of companies, this is, mm -hmm. this is mandatory as of 2005, especially when brands are being acquired. You can see that the implication of these new accounting rules uh, that facilitate this is that as of 2005, chief financial officers have been dealing with the financial value of brands, which mm -hmm. was to that point hardly the case. We've also seen new ISO standards and consensus on methodologies on how to go about the financial value of a brand. And of course, the first thing in, in defining a financial value for a brand is again to assess and establish what it is that you are valuing. And, and this is again about what is the bundle of IP rights that you're looking at. So I, yeah, I do see light in the tunnel from the, the legal profession perspective, an opportunity to, to shift the momentum to become way more to the forefront of discussions. In addition, I mean, due to the rise of internet and digitalization, more and more people understand how difficult it is to register new brands and names. And so many have been taken already. So it's a really crowded space. And that's also led to a situation where more legal checking takes place prior to starting discussions about brand opportunities at all. So good news. Mark, uh, what's your perspective on advertising today and the ways to optimize brand visibility in an increasingly customer-centric and digital environment? And more generally, what makes a brand strong? And can you share a few examples? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the digital arena is full of clutter. By now, the digital space has become very crowded. And as a result, the effectiveness of advertising is more an issue than it's been since a long time. The, the digital space is not only crowded in terms of everyone being there, but it's also crowded uh, in how much attention a brand can possibly really get through the screen of a mobile phone, because everything is moving into that direction. And also, the general public is starting to grasp the presence and impact of fake news and chatbots. And this leads to just less interest and credibility from people into the digital space and digital experiences. 
what I see is a, is a swing back for people to them wanting to see authentic human experiences. So just very simply thinking of festivals, meetings, events where people can come together are hotter than ever. You see that everywhere, especially amongst the, the younger people. And it's where the real interaction is. And surely that's supported by digital communications and gadgets. But the real interest of human beings is to be with each other physically. And so to your question, what makes brands strong? I think that strong brands today are those brands who understand the human needs for physical real life experiences. And we currently see a lot of brands dialing back digital investments uh, because it's, it's not clear what the effect is anymore. And they do that in favor of investing in real life events. And one sector where you can see this really well, for example, is the telecom sector. For example, our client Deutsche Telekom are very heavily present in creating live experiences around the brand. And they're not unique. You can also see it with Vodafone and the other brands. Do you see other examples that uh, reinforce the, the power of a brand? What we see with a lot of clients is that because the world is becoming more transparent, it's uh, more important um, to unify branding. That's what we see a lot. So companies who used to have a lot of brands, they are really mm -hmm. uh, looking and, and reviewing their brand portfolio because uh, clients, customers want to know who's behind the brand. And if everything is digital and transparent, you can also wonder why you would have so many brands. This doesn't necessarily mean that people always go back to one brand, but you see that there's a lot of uh, portfolio reviews going on because of this. And you can also imagine there's a cost element to keeping a lot of brands. So it's a good idea to, to do a review of your brand portfolio on a regular basis anyway. Do you have in mind uh, questions like uh, blockchain? We, yes, we have that in mind. Let me put it that way. I don't see a lot of that in, in real life in the branding space. You can see that it's it's important for the integrity of data. Uh, we have a lot of healthcare clients and banking clients where it's a hot topic to org to get organized on the main processes in the integrity of the data. I don't see it so much yet in, in the brand space. In the context of this so-called fourth industrial revolution, many consider customer data as the new gold uh, for brand owners, enabling to better target their resources and marketing efforts. We all have in mind risk and privacy concerns that could backfire. Could you tell us more, Mark, about the key challenges to access such data, considering that most interactions with customers are mediated through social media, shopping platforms, and connected devices? Mm -hmm. Especially for, for B2B brands, there's a lot of opportunity because the, the digitalization is offering B2B brands the opportunities to cut out the, the middleman functions. So typically a B2B company sells to another B company and they then at the end someone sells to consumers mostly. And uh, of course those those intermediate middleman uh, companies or functions are whole industries and this, this digitalization is offering companies the uh, opportunity to focus Instead of being a B2B company, uh, they are gradually becoming a B2C company. And it also enables them to focus on connecting with the end consumer. Uh, just to give the example of Tesla, they are not selling through, like BMW are, through national sales companies or importers. So they can have direct contact with the client, whereas uh, in the old days or with all the other brands, the, the manufacturer has a distribution network and the distribution network talks to the client. So that, there's a huge opportunity for B2B companies to shorten the way to get to the customer, which of course put all the middleman functions uh, under threat. 
if I circle back to the issue of privacy, I, I think that's an, another area where the legal profession is becoming more to the forefront, not just for the privacy, but also for like things like phishing, fake news, and a lot. I mean, all these developments create limitations in what you can do through channels and branding, and one has to be very aware what is possible and what's not. And I think that, that that's where the legal profession can really play a role. Thinking forward, uh, what do you expect to be the next major tech breakthrough in the customer experience that will require brand owners to rethink once again their branding strategy? Yeah, I think there's a few things. I mean, we spoke about voice branding. Uh, if you look at voice branding, you could think, okay, uh, apparently if, if choices have to be more simple, then maybe there's less room for five brands in a market and it will be either premium brand or the private label brand and anything in between might become more difficult. But it's just focusing on one channel consequence for voice branding. I think generically speaking, I think that human beings want to be functionally supported in their lives and ideally uh, ad-free. And uh, today we've all given our, our data and our privacy in exchange for free access. And um, I'm convinced that any brand that will find a way to offer ad-free services and that, that doesn't sell the data that they have to someone else and is trusted for that and is able to operate at a very low operating cost, that will be hugely attractive. I also think people are getting tired of the clutter and, and created addiction to digital Companies like Facebook have whole teams that are just focused. What can we do to keep you in our app as long as possible, as many minutes per day? The moment you realize that, you dislike that. And people want to will want to steer back to human interaction and experience. So I think to answer your question, I don't think it will be so much the next major technology breakthrough that will make the next wave, but rather the movement back to real human interaction, totally supported in a digital functional system. I can also see in, in, in the work that we do with our clients, if clients are talking about positioning their business, it has a lot to do with we are being too distant from the world, we have become too technocratic, and we want to become more human. And we, we then help them, for example, to, to find a design agency to make the whole look and feel of those companies way more human. And in, in design, it means if you have a very stark uh, colors and square shapes, the new identity will have much more, uh, say, subtle uh, colors and more round shapes. I mean, that's the most simple way to put it. That's also where we see that increase needs to be more human than ever. And uh, this is, the, yes, this is the movement back from what we've been seeing over the last 15 to 20 years. And do you see trends? I have in mind no-name products uh, such as Brandless that mm -hmm. will reshape the visions about branding. The word branding comes from putting a mark on cattle to see that it was yours or it was from a certain family. A mark is, a, is the most simple symbol for identification. So whatever you do, if the whole world becomes technologically totally advanced, you will need recognition to have a symbol of what it is that you're looking at. We spoke about voice branding and the batteries. It's clear that there will be quite a push if the channel is totally automated, then you will need and you want to be successful with your batteries, for example, and your batteries have no brand, then you can operate a, a model that's totally based on no branding and lowest cost and you will be hugely successful. For anything that falls in that category, it could be very beneficial to de-brand because then brand would be a cost if it's not a, a consideration for the ultimate user uh, to buy you. 
at the other end of the spectrum, if you are able to differentiate yourself from competition through branding, you can ask more money for the same. So that will not change. I do think that you might need less choices than five or four, and maybe two choices would be enough. So that could be part of the line of thinking in, in terms of finding an answer. To conclude, Mark, can you tell us your secret? How do you <laughs> keep up with a brand innovation? Mm. Uh, if you were to give our listeners one practical advice or a source, uh, such as a blog, a newsletter, a publication, uh, what would it be? I'm not sure whether my wife would agree. Maybe she does, but I, I think I'm an, <laughs> I'm an information junk, uh, an addict, really. So I, I read everything that I find of interest. Quite often, these things are outside of my professional interest area. Yeah, I just have this habit that when I think of something, I want to understand more and, and dig into it to learn, and, uh, and you get more perspectives. In my professional space, there's a the block, it's called Branding Strategy Insider. That's run by an American uh, collective of people. And I think they have good content on, on anything around branding strategy. In the end, uh, it's not really a secret, but it's, it's my way of doing it, just uh, taking in as much as I can. Thank you for sharing it. Yeah, thanks. My pleasure. My guest today was Mark Lusterman, CEO of the VIM Group, who shared his deep knowledge about brand strategy in the context of major and disruptive shifts occurring with the fourth industrial revolution. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for future episodes of Brand and New, a podcast from the International Trademark Association. If you liked this episode and think someone else would too, please share it. And to learn more about INTA, please visit INTA.org.